Once upon a time, I was a goalie dad. My daughter wanted to play hockey. Yes, that's the same daughter I referred to in the hockey school show, who sat at center ice at age five, crying because her goofball father forgot to put on her hockey pants. She chose to be a goalie. We borrowed equipment from the association, and she played on what must have been one of the worst teams in history, an epic mess made worse by having a dullard, lazy coach who placed the team in a competitive division rather than house league where it truly belonged. The team regularly got shut out, allowing double-digit goals against. I had a season-long stomach cramp. As a goalie dad, and an antisocial one at that, I was conveniently able to convince myself bad goals were due to the team's non-existent skills and hallucinatory tactics. There was no goalie instruction, and the coach wanted no help. Had I been allowed on the ice, even with my minimal knowledge of the position, I might have gotten her a tad further by insisting she just stay at the edge of the crease and get in the way of the shot. Remember, these were the pioneer days of girls' hockey at a base house league level. Very few girls could make a move or shoot accurately. Was she ever at fault? Oh, sure, many, many times. But I never said a word, not a syllable. I just sat by myself in the stands, doubled over, holding my sides, groaning a lot, and grinding my teeth. When she played on her junior high school team in grade 9, it was marginally better. Her career, as it were, ended there. And I was relieved, because watching her play, knowing she was getting no help on terribly weak teams, was just so frustrating. The good news was, the teeth grinding stopped and my stomach recovered. In spite of all that hockey trauma and the sunburned neck from the red light, she grew up, went to university, got married, and became a stupendously wonderful mom. Goaltending left no scars at all. This is Richard Berkison, and you're listening to Grassroots, the minor hockey show. In this show, I talk with two goalie dads. Grant's son, Cameron, is a AAA goalie on the verge of playing junior. My brother Jim's daughter, Danielle, is 14 and plays house league and house selects in a girls' league. Both fellows sound almost reasonable as they discuss the tribulations of being goalie parents. So as promised here on Grassroots, we're uh, talking about uh, how to be a goalie parent or not. And I have on the line uh, Grant Johnston, whose son Cameron uh, has just finished playing midget hockey, or one year of midget hockey anyway, for the Oshawa Generals uh, midget AAA team. Um, but he didn't start that way, obviously, as a, as a young kid. So, uh, Grant, welcome to Grassroots, and I have a question to, to ask you right off the top here. Well, thank you for having me, Richard. All right. It's always good to be had, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, your kid is a goaltender, and where did you go wrong as a parent? Signing him up for hockey and letting him go in net. <laughs> well, it didn't start out that way, though. No, he started out as a, as a skater and spent probably about two years as a skater, and I noticed that he was having difficulty skating and, and turning, and he happened to be quite tall for his age. 
and he had he was a little bit knock kneed. So turning and kind of the edge work uh, wasn't working out too well. He'd have to take these big sweeping turns. And when it got to be his turn in net, he, we put the goalie pads on him and suddenly he could skate better than he did without goalie pads. So it just became a natural thing. And with his you know, posture and form being the way it was, the knock need really helped him as he suddenly had a, a natural butterfly position while playing in net. And it wasn't something he had to be taught. He could just do it. Was so this something- we left him in there. Okay, was this something he he had asked to do, or like all kids, they all want to try it? No, he hadn't asked. It was just uh, everyone had to take a turn. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And so it was his turn, and it was, you know, like watching a child take their first steps. It was, you know, really kind of exciting to watch, and just watching what he could actually do with the goalie pads on. I don't know if it changed his his skate so much on the ice but suddenly he could skate properly and looked way better and it wasn't just myself that noticed it but it was all the parents and all of a sudden he just he really enjoyed being a goalie because he could actually skate and perform properly so he was really enjoying it well you know the kids were rotating positions at that point right I mean he wasn't playing goaltender every ice session no he was he probably played goalie at that point once once a month and then uh, he was offered a spot on a select team halfway through the year as a, as a goalie. And that's when he kind of made the move into being a full-time goaltender. Do you think he loved it right from the beginning or not? Did he have to grow into it? No, I think he loved it right from the beginning. His, his mom is a goalie and, you know, it's not that he'd ever seen her play. He knew that she was a goalie, but uh, he just really enjoyed I think being more involved and feeling that he was a little more important than just the person that, you know, what he thought hockey was, was letting everyone else go and dig the puck out of corners and throw it to him in front for him to score. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was an attention standpoint or not, but you know, he just was very capable and, you know, had different strengths that way than some of the other kids did. So he just went with it. Now, the school of thought is when, you you know, I've talked to a lot of goaltending coaches over the years and the general consent, well, it's not even a consensus. It's it's an agreement from all of them that until the kids are about eight or nine, a couple of guys have even told me later, 10 or 11. I know in Europe, it's sometimes later um, to keep them playing as a non-goaltender to improve their skating and puck handling skills and then plunk them in the net. But that didn't happen with Cameron. No, it didn't. It was... Like I said, he just had some natural ability in the net. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then he had the irony, Richard, was he also had another deficiency, um, which was his eyesight. And what we didn't know, and I don't know if I didn't read the correct parenting book when Hmm. he was born, but uh, he was also a lacrosse player. And one of the things that I noticed when he was playing lacrosse, he could throw and catch with me just fine out in the backyard and then we'd come to games because I coached him in lacrosse as well and when it came to playing a game with his his peers whenever the ball would bounce he couldn't catch it even if it was right at his stick he he had no perception of the ball and so we end up taking him to the the eye doctor to get his eyes tested it turns out he had a lazy eye and when I say a lazy eye just his 
eyesight, his brain was only registering vision from one of his eyes. Hmm. And so it ended up, he had one eye ended up being weaker than the other. So he had to look like a pirate for some time. So he had the this, pirate patch on to strengthen his eye. And this was at what age? This was six years old. Oh, wow. Hmm. And his, his career uh, took so off from there. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up putting a corrective lens um, in his one eye. So he has a contact. He only wears a contact in one eye, which is great because it cuts down on, uh, you know, he gets to wear both contacts in his, his sets that get sent to him and he gets double the wear because he only has to put one in. Mm -hmm. so saves, saves, dad, saves, saves mom and dad some money too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But his depth perception, he could now see. So he could now stop the ball, stop the puck. He could mm -hmm. see. Now, oh. you, you know, you played hockey yourself. You played a little bit of junior hockey and you played pro lacrosse. So uh, as, a, as an athlete watching your own child playing a position that you didn't really play, I, you didn't play goaltender ever, did you? Absolutely not. Um, um. My <laughs> definition of a goalie was a, a, a crazy person with no brains that mm -hmm. was in a defenseless position. Mm -hmm. oh, thank you. That was not for me. <laughs> so watch, watching your own child go into a net at that young age did you ask yourself, oh, my God, what have I done? Well, I, I did have that. I probably went through that for a good couple months. But at the same time, you know, with my educational background, I just enjoyed seeing the smile on his face from having some success with his friends. But as he grows older, of course, because, I mean, he's, Cameron has played AAA the last uh, three years. Yep. And before that, he played A or AA, correct? Yep, A hockey. A hockey all the way up. So that's quite a jump from, you know, uh, Peewee and minor bantam A to AAA and now being scouted by junior teams. Um, from the parents' standpoint, how has that transition been for you uh, as he's gotten older. I'm not talking about in the last year or two, you know, keep team records and that kind of thing out of it. But just watching how he's uh, changed as a goaltender over those years, those important years from age seven to like 13 or so. I would say, you know, he, he truly loves playing and loves becoming a, a focal point because a goaltender is a very important position on a team and I think he really enjoys putting the extra pressure on himself to really succeed because he feels like he has a big impact on a game if he plays well. And then the flip side is that as a parent that the flip side is if he doesn't play well, then everyone in the arena knows about it. <laughs> and that's when you hide? Uh, generally. Yes. But, uh, with, with my body type, it's really hard to get into some of those tight corners. Yes. Well, we should say that, that uh, Grant is what we would call in the lexicon of sports, a large unit at what, 6'3", 200 and something pounds, 195 or whatever, right? Uh, you're being generous, but thank you. Um, yes. <laughs> ish. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Absolutely. Right. So uh, did you find through those early years, now let's keep novice hockey out of it, but into Adam and Peewee and even into Bantam and increasing the word pressure is perhaps overstating it, but uh, maybe anxiety. Oh, absolutely. My anxiety was shot. <laughs> I mean, I was, it was, 
his anxiety, no. Um, he was a, a player that, you know, just seemed to be cruising along in a hockey and, you know, had some moderate success and felt like he was doing well. And then all of a sudden along came Bantam. And the next thing you know, he's, he makes the AAA team, which was totally unexpected. And then he just kind of flourished from there. It just opened his eyes to some possibilities and he just worked hard after that and kept going. But when but he was younger, I know my anxiety went up as he moved up. Yeah. But when he was younger, let's go back to those earlier years. Cause that's where the foundations are established. Right. And, and you know, for listeners say Grant is a, is a, a school teacher. He teaches, uh, was it grade seven and eight? I believe. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Um, so he knows about the age groups. He knows about age level differences and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, from age eight to 12, 13, even 14, um, did you find yourself um, wanting to provide him more tools to make him better or was he asking for it? It was a combination of both. Uh, I mean, being a goaltender is a very specific position and it's one that I had no background with and it's very difficult even in a, a hockey crazed market that that we live in to find proper training I mean at that point uh, we were living in Uxbridge which is a you know kind of rural Ontario and we were always driving 45 minutes on a Saturday morning to get him some training down in Pickering so it was mm. very difficult to find someone to train him but he was the one that you know he did ask for it and then we just had to find it but it was definitely the proximity was an issue did you um, ever did you ever serve as his goalie coach in, in the, at the younger age levels no uh i was the, the head coach and uh, my role was just to fire pucks at him <laughs> okay so um, no there was no specific training hmm. Is that a real problem for, for goalie parents, do you think? I definitely think it is. Um, you know, even to this day, it's, there's not a lot of people that have the, the proper training to what, you know, the goalie-specific training is nowadays. You can find dads that can tell you that they played goalie growing up, but the game has changed in the last 30 years. And what they think needs to be done is very different than the actual techniques that need to be taught now. I mean, now it's, from my understanding, it's a more of a position of percentages and probabilities. And that's not the way goaltending was. It was more reactive back then. But now with the kids being bigger, faster, stronger, and the technology is what it is, they've narrowed it down to very specific things that they're taught. And there's not many people to teach it. Interestingly, uh, there are a fair number of coaches that I know at higher levels and, uh, you know, that I know of, I should say, or, or have met. Uh, well, Bob Hartley would be one. Jacques Martin is another one who are, who are both goaltenders. Bob Hartley was a junior B and a poor junior B goaltender at that in the Ottawa area. Um, <laughs> well, he, I mean, he, he'd be the first one to admit it. Bob is a very honest guy. Um, and I, I would think that for somebody who's not been a goaltender, you know, like you are a forward, so you could say to the forwards, listen, on a breakout, I'd like you to do this. I want you to work on your stick handling this way. But when your son is a goaltender and you have no background in it, even as a, as a well, even the ones who have been players, 
you know, you were sort of shown a certain way to do it 30 years ago as a kid. And now your son is a goaltender. You're going, well, that's not the way they're teaching it now. It's, it's completely different and challenging. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was it. My, my comments to him were stop puck. That's what I ask my goaltenders to do. Just stop. <laughs> stop the puck. Absolutely. I mean, I'd say a prayer every time, but mm -hmm. you know. So, so as he as he gets into competitive hockey now, and uh, what age did he start playing competitive hockey? Eight years old. At eight years old. So that was at the A level, because that's a double A center, isn't it, Oxbridge? Well, it is now. It wasn't then. Oh, I see. Um, okay. He started out his first foray into it was novice ae mm -hmm. and the next year he moved up two age groups to the adam a team so he moved up a level and then jumped up a year as well mm -hmm. and because we ended up moving from uxbridge down to clarington he actually when he went down to clarington he ended up playing two years at the adam no actually he went down a level um, so he went down an age group and down a level when he moved to Clarington. So he was actually playing on the Adam AE team the following year. So he played Adam A and then went Adam AE. And how did you, how did you manage that demotion? Truthfully, uh, it was the type of thing where you had 12 goalies and he was just the unknown kid at the time. Right. And so I, you know, at that age, they're, you know, it's it's partly maybe political familiarity with the other goalies and just knowing not knowing who this kid is you know they don't know if he's from house league or whatever mm -hmm. and you know i can remember being at the very first tryout when you know, it was my first experience seeing this and and going through this and i don't recommend it for any organizations 200 kids were on the ice for the first tryout and all the parents had to line up and they had to do one-on-one -on -one cuts after that first hour on the ice. Did you say 200 kids on the ice? Yeah. Yes, I did. Hmm. Now you can imagine being that coach who's trying to even figure out who any of the, I mean, maybe even 20 of the players are. Right. And to cut it down. And that's the way it went from AAA, AA, you were down to about 160. Mm -hmm. And when you got down to a you know maybe 100 120 kids and i can remember walking out of the uh, final cuts for the adam a team and i walked out of the room they just cut cameron down to the eight adam a team and i was i was perplexed but i remember walking out of the room and the double a coach stopped me he goes well welcome to our organization I'm going to be offering Cameron an AP spot to the double A team. From AE. He, he thought that he'd been signed. Oh. Right. <laughs> At A right. and I just looked at him and said, mm. they just cut him. Mm -hmm. And I just remember walking away from that, just kind of shaking my head. But, you know, it is what it is. But he had a fabulous year um, playing in AE hockey. Um, mm. Developmentally wise, you know, he'd already played at that age group up up a level and literally all he had to do with because he's he's a big big goalie he's very lanky um all he did was go into a butterfly and at that level the kids couldn't lift the puck 
mm-hmm. off the ice. So he covered most of the bottom of the net. So people have a, had a really difficult time scoring on him. And so that just kind of built on his confidence. And then we moved, made the move to Oshawa the following year. And he, uh, again, went to the, the end of the double A tryouts, thought we might have a spot there. And he ended up playing a hockey for the next three years in Oshawa. Now th- th- that whole experience that you had in Clarington with the, um, or anywhere actually for that matter, uh, with tryouts and kids being put at a level where, as you say, you left perplexed. That's a pretty common occurrence at tryouts and it's even Absolutely. worse. For, and it's even worse for goaltenders. Yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, the, the part of it being if, if they didn't have a certain Jersey on, if they weren't already in house, you know, with those kind of numbers, because I believe at that point there was about 15 goaltenders trying out mm-hmm. at the start. And it never seemed to get lower than even when we got down to AE, there was six or seven goalies still. And, and, it, and it happens everywhere. Grant, Grant, you know, it happens everywhere because I, I remember coaching a junior B team in, in the Ottawa area not too many years ago. And uh, we had 16 goaltenders come out for the junior B team because they just move around from organization to organization to try to see if they can land a spot. And the general manager told us that he had to turn away another 10 or 12. Yeah. So I, I'd never seen like being an expert, there wasn't that many goalies to choose from. No. And then coming down there, it was just an absolute shock. Mm. And then when we came over to Oshawa, you know, they didn't have those kind of numbers at that position. It was only at the AAA level you saw the higher numbers because you could, you know, gain some of the players that were let go by other organizations at that mm-hmm. level. But you never now, saw those kind of numbers ever again. Right now, now as as a boy moves up, uh, both in age and in level, because he went from uh, A hockey in Pee Wee to minor Bantam A, I think, correct? Correct. And then uh, major Bantam AAA. During those three or four years of that transition, um, was was he really uh, determined to play at the highest level he could, or was he just okay with where he was? I would say he he hit puberty a little bit early, and I think that his competitive juices and his competitive nature really, really took off. And I know playing on the minor Bantam A team, he really want, did not want to be there anymore. He wanted to move up. Mm-hmm. He realized he had some tools. You know, people had given him some really good positive feedback and he wanted to get better. And he just kept at it. And, you know, I said, just just stick with it. And, you know, eventually you'll get a break. And that break came the following year. But I know that he had a fabulous year playing A hockey. and one of the things that he did, which I didn't really like because I was on the coaching staff at the time was he put in the extra work and sometimes it always felt like he was putting in the extra work just to make the other goaltender, his goaltending partner look lazy. Now over the years, you know, with, with um, goalie parents, I've, I've seen some that, that really take a hands-off approach entirely. And I've seen others that just chew on their fingernails all the way up from when the kids were seven or eight, nine years old. Where were you on that spectrum? I was fine until it came to 
the Bantam AAA tryouts. <laughs> yes, okay. And, I, I, you know, it was one of those where he'd been to the, kind of towards the end of these tryouts before and always kind of had his heart broken. But it just, there was something about that year that just felt a little different. And, and I can remember the first night of the tryouts, um, he stepped on the ice and the assistant coach, at that point I was set to coach the double-A team, mm-hmm. and said, uh, what uh, team does your son play on? Thinking that he was an older goalie. And I said, he's, he, he just could have side of him at that point. Because at that point he was you know, six, six feet tall and the other goalies that were on the ice were around probably five foot eight. So there was a big size difference. And so it was just that him catching him off guard that he wasn't expecting the size of him and then his ability to move. It just, that's when I started to believe that, you know, he could really catch a break that year and, and move up. But as we move through the tryouts, I know that my nerves started getting worse and worse and worse. In the meantime, I'm sitting there also trying to evaluate the double A players and, you know, getting a little bit excited for him, but, you know, he'd been, like I said, he'd been to the end again, so I just didn't want to see his heart get broken. So I, I felt very anxious the last couple of tryouts, especially when it got down to just them looking at two or three goalies. He went to AAA, and he's played the last three years now um, in AAA. If you were giving advice to uh, parents of goaltenders at the younger age levels, I mean, it, it's worked out for Cameron to have reached AAA. Uh, and even if he never played another game, at least he's played AAA for a while. The vast majority of goalies, of course, never get anywhere near that level. Even though a lot of parents think, well, you know, he's he's almost there. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what advice would you be giving them? Just make sure that they're having fun, and as long as they leave with a smile on their face. I'm not going to say every time, but the majority of times, and they really enjoy what they're doing then encourage them to keep going. When was the first time he got pulled from a game because of poor play or something like that? Uh, that would have been in Bantam AAA. And how did you deal with that? Never mind him. How about the parents? Uh, well, uh, as you, you were beside me on the bench at the time, Richard. Um, <laughs> yes, okay. Was, uh, <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> I could just turn and say it was your idea. Sure. All right. Blame me. Uh, no. But as a parent, what's going through your mind? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll blame you on that one. Uh, as a parent, it was, it can be frustrating, but at the same time, uh, I thought that, you know, it was, it was a year that the, the team wasn't as strong as we would like at the beginning. And it was a learning curve for kind of the whole group. So there was a lot of patience, I think, in his year of development, knowing that he just made the jump from A. Well, so, and what, that's it too. I mean, there's, it's a select group that plays AAA hockey. Uh, whether they've made it by, by accident or they happen to be a cousin of the coach or, or they actually earned it. But it's still a rare occurrence to play AAA hockey. Uh, and for a goaltender, it's not as if they're getting pulled every third game. You know, you can count on one hand probably the number of times it happens to a goaltender in a season in minor hockey, would you say? Yeah, no, I totally would agree with that. So it's, you know, you just want to see how they react and, you know, are they going to be a little bit upset? Yes. Do they want to get 
get back out there, yes. I mean, he's very competitive by nature, so I know he didn't enjoy it. But at the same time, you know, there's only one way to fix that, and that's to play better. So he mm. just kind of reset and refocused and went on from there. But now, he didn't dwell on it. That's the one piece of advice that I could give to goalie parents is teach them to have a very short memory. You can't change what has already happened. Right. Now, looking ahead, uh, you know, he's looking at, at perhaps a landing with the junior team at some point in the next year or two years. Um, when you think back to this uh, journey from novice AE to, you know, midget AAA and perhaps junior, there are a couple of junior teams that have them in their sights. What has hit you uh, square between the eyes as being something that you just, wow, where did this come from? In terms of his play or just in terms of being a goalie parent? Both. Okay, I would say in terms of just being a goalie parent is just, uh, it's really hard to get motivated to drive two and a half hours to watch your son open a door. Right. And that's one thing that's, that's very frustrating because, you know, if your kid's playing on a third line, you, you half expect it now. You know, goalie parents are used to that because you often are just alternating in minor hockey. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you try and pay attention to who's getting the home game and who's getting the away game. And you just want to you know, make sure you're ready. And I think at, at a younger age, that's saying that's very hard to get them to realize that they still have to be prepared even as a backup goalie. Sure. And getting their mental focus where it needs to be, um, you know, is certainly something that I think they need to really adjust to and be encouraged to adjust to that no matter what's going on, you need to be ready. And I just know as a parent, it was hard to adjust to that, knowing that, yep, we're driving to Kingston, so two uh, over two hours away, and good job opening the door. And mm-hmm. you, you come out to the lobby, and you hear some of the other parents complaining that their kid only got uh, three shifts in the last 10 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. On my shift, my kid didn't get on the ice. Mm-hmm. But I'm still here smiling. And at the same time, it also isolates, you know, the, the goalie parents. You know, you're either the hero or the goat. You're because your your child can have that big of an effect. His mistakes always end up on the scoreboard, whereas you know some of the others can get hidden if someone else makes a good play after they make their mistake. Now he's coming to the end of his minor hockey career, and uh, are you going to look back on his his play as a as a goaltender fondly? I will say the last few years, yes. <clears throat> I mean, I'm very pleased with the the way he was able to develop and the the fact that he still has a love of the game is one of the things that i I, i'm glad that he's really taken this journey Mm -hmm. my bank account isn't quite as glad uh, yeah it's an expensive having a goalie parent uh, having a goalie uh kid in the family isn't it yeah that's the one thing that you know is is financially challenging especially with the cost of the goalie equipment i know one of the worst moments for me, Richard, was going to the store to buy him a helmet. And the way that the goalie helmets are designed now, they number the safety level on the helmet from one to 10. When you're sitting there looking at the helmets, you know, there's all different paint jobs and the kids tend to you know, gravitate to the one that looks the coolest. And then I'm sitting there looking at the safety number and 
looking at the price tag go up and up and up. So just even for the helmet now, mm -hmm. uh, with the different types of foam that they offer, and you know when you're looking at the safety level, it is so hard to not put your child in the the safest equipment. But at the same time, the price tag on the number ten safety helmet, you know, comes with a price tag just for the helmet of you know thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars, and that's mm -hmm. just for a helmet. Right. So it's kind of astonishing that way. Uh, I mean, I think we all know skates and sticks are definitely not cheap, but for goalies, the pads and the, the, the actual protective gear is extremely expensive. That's enough to turn off any parent who's got a kid who's seven years old and wants to be a goaltender. And, you know, well, if you're going to have one, and I think if you have multiple children, you need to make sure that they're all going to be goalies. Then that way you can hand down the equipment. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think it's the only way you're going to get the value out of it. Yeah. As long as they're not playing or practicing at the same time. Absolutely. Well, that, that's uh, great stuff, Grant. Really appreciate it. And I hope you survive the next two or three years until he gets out of junior hockey and into who knows what. Well, we'll just support him and be there to cheer him on when he does well and when he fails. But mm -hmm. that's like any parent. So Right. And when do you stop buying his goalie equipment? I don't know if that's ever actually going to happen. <laughs> I mean, my guess is I think when he secures full-time employment. <laughs> Right. That's, that's a ways, that's a ways away. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, sir. Thanks very much for your time. We'll talk later. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank right. you so much for having me. Okay. Take care. Talk to you. Bye-bye. And now for that other goalie parent, Jim Berkison. Jim, you dumb dumb. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Rich. Okay. So, uh, your daughter, Danielle, now 14 years old, is a goalie. Can you tell me where as a parent you went wrong? <laughs> well, it wasn't my first choice, so we kind of got stuck with it. Now, we should tell listeners about your own goaltending career. Yeah, well, I was a goaltender for zero number of years in my life. Uh, I did play it as a ball hockey player a couple of times, but that was about the extent of it. All right, let's get to the topic here of being the parent of a goaltender. Uh, at right. what point, at what point did Danielle, who plays girls hockey, she's playing house league and house, house league selects. At right. what point did she decide that goaltending was her choice? Uh, she actually really enjoyed when the kids, when house league were doing the goalie rotation, she actually decided she liked it when she was probably seven or eight years old. Um, I just wouldn't let her play it. Because? Um, because I wanted her to learn how to skate and learn how to play hockey first. So I arbitrarily picked 12 years old as the year that I would let her try to be a goalie. Now, up until then, she was actually doing a little both, wasn't she? Sure. She was playing the rotation, you know, so she might get two or three games a year in as the goaltender. And this is with how much instruction? Zero instruction. And did that cause a problem? No, not at that point. I mean, it's house league and it's rotation. And, uh, you know, some of the kids are so bad that every shot on net goes in. Um, and she actually showed a little bit of talent, but I still wasn't going to let her be a goalie. Uh, because of the skating skills, you mean? Or uh, or just because the position is too complicated? Um, I just didn't think that she should be a goalie that young. I realize lots of people start their kids as goalie as, as soon as they start playing. But I thought she should learn how to skate and handle a hockey stick first. So at age 12, she becomes a goaltender first time, uh, full time rather. 
And um, your thoughts on that was at the time? Um, it wasn't my preference, but I thought, what the heck, we might as well see what she's like. I mean, she had been a fairly decent um, rotation goalie, so might as well see how well she plays as a full-time goalie. How many times have I told you it's not your preference, it's hers? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, it's not you know, all I, about I, you, I, you know. I have found uh, after coaching kids for many years that uh, they also enjoy winning and they also enjoy playing well. And if you're the kid that can't skate and everybody zips right by you constantly, um, you're not having as good a time as you could be. So that's why I wanted her to learn to skate and play the game first. But having people zip by you is not an uncommon occurrence in house league hockey where you might have two or three kids who can skate in a straight line with a puck, maybe make right. a couple of passes and the rest of them are just you know, kind of fluttering in the wind sometimes. Right. And I've found uh, in house league hockey that those kids don't stick around very long because they're not having a good time. So the last couple of years, she has played full-time goaltender. And right. uh, what have you found out about that position since since she began as a full-time goalie? Well, I have found it is an extremely difficult position to play. Um, there are so many elements to it, and you think that you just stick your kid in nets and they stop the puck. As the kids shooting on her get better and better, um, it becomes a very, very difficult to, uh, position to play. And you're sitting in the stands chewing on your nails the whole time. No, you know what? Actually, I'm not. I, I started off um, a little nervous, but she started to make saves. And I think it was her, her soccer background that gave her some strength in her legs to make a lot of lower body saves. Um, so I started to enjoy watching her play. I have found watching uh, former soccer players. I remember one uh, soccer player at Loyola way back who became an NHL goaltender is now an NHL goaltending coach, Jim Corsi, who was an outstanding soccer player. And when he played hockey as a goalie and he played in the NHL, he had what we call great feet. Like anything below the hips, the legs were right there. Right. Are you, are you finding that with Danielle? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. She, she started making kick saves um, right from minute one. And as a matter of fact, we were sitting in the stands watching her very first game and she made uh, two or three of the most unbelievable saves, lower body again, sticking her legs out, um, going into a butterfly fairly naturally. And the man from the other team sitting beside us yelled out, hey, it's not fair that they have a rep goalie in nets. <laughs> and and, and we you were saying daddy was so proud. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. At, at that point, we hadn't played against any kids who could actually lift it into the top corner. Now, in retrospect, you know, now that she's 14 and has played a couple of years, do you feel that, geez, maybe we should have given her some instruction or gotten some instruction for her a few years ago? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Once you've decided that, that your kid is going to be a goalie and if they show any kind, of, uh, any kind of talent in that area, you absolutely have to get proper goalie instruction. But you didn't because you're a bad parent or uh, you just felt that the skating was more important or too early, all of those? Um, I, I might have started her a little bit earlier, maybe 10 years old. But no, I still believe that, that she needs to learn, needed to learn to skate first and, and handle a hockey stick. But 10 years old, maybe instead of 12, but with proper goalie instruction, not, not instruction from her father. 
Can you say that one more time? I just want to, I'm writing this down. <laughs> so that next time there's a family dinner, I can repeat that to everybody around the table. Yeah, well, surprisingly, uh, I spent a lot of time online, uh, especially watching Carrie Price videos because that's Daniel's favorite and um, different gold tra- goaltending training videos. So I was doing the best I could on the ice with her, uh, not being a goalie myself. But this past year, she's had a little bit more goalie training and it's made a huge difference. Well, one of the fears in coaching is having people teach kids without having the background themselves and, and using just like you're doing YouTube videos, books to uh, to show the kids what to do. And often they're showing them the wrong thing or it's not in the right order. The progression is out of sync, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, right. But you don't worry about that, do you? Uh, no, I don't really worry about that, you know, but um, I guess the best way to answer that is that she's had now four or five different goalie trainers because different People have come into the program uh, once she started playing what's called DS hockey, um, which we found was kind of the equivalent of, uh, of double B hockey in, in the area that she's playing in. Um, the girls are very talented, many of them, and some of them have great shots. And what we found with all the different goalie training is every goalie has his own unique style. Sure. And some of, and one person is telling her the complete opposite of what somebody else is, particularly the way to handle her glove hand. Well, and that's a discussion you and I have had that that the ability to catch is almost not there. Well, exactly, exactly. And I've known a few goalies in my life who were also um, uh, catchers in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seemed to be a natural progression to be a catcher in baseball and be a hockey goalie. Right, but. But um, definitely the way the different goalies hold their glove, uh, you know, some are low, some are high, some are sticking out, some are back. Uh, The stick side seems to be the same for every trainer that she's had in the past year. Now, let's go back to your role as a parent uh, when she was playing as a non-goaltender. And how has it differed from being a parent now that she's a goalie? Well, I was also her coach um, for a number of years, um, so that that was the main difference. I mean, I played hockey my whole life, and so oh, is that uh, what you did? The, that's what you called <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I'm still looking for my five thousandth career goal. Five thousandth uh, shot on net, maybe. But yeah. <laughs> I keep telling you not to include warm ups, but you insist. Yeah, yeah. But before the goalie gets in the net. Um, so, you know, I was, I was able to, to teach her the game. Once she decided to become a goalie, then I was kind of uh, a fish out of water. Then I became more of a spectator. An active spectator, a nervous spectator, an anxious spectator. You know what? Uh, never nervous. Uh, I'm always upset at sometimes her, her focus in the game. Um, I keep the one thing I keep telling her is a goalie. Uh, has to be completely focused all the time. Even if the puck is at the opposite end of the ice, you can't let your mind start to drift. And when a really, really bad goal goes in that I know she can stop, that always ticked me off a little bit. But you know what? She's a, a fairly new goalie with limited instruction, and you have to take that into account, obviously. So where does it go from here? She's now 14, going into grade nine next year. Is there goaltending instruction on the horizon or what? Well, yes. I mean, she's she has another year in Bantam, and then she has, if she stays in the house league, she has two years of 
of um, midget to play. Uh, there really is not a lot of place to go. She's, I mean, we've had requests from both the single A and the double B coaches for her to come and try out with the teams. Uh, we really can't do that because she's committed to a rep soccer program. So there's only so many hours in a day as far as that's concerned. But if if she's going to play house league and she's going to play DS hockey again, she definitely needs a lot more instruction, especially from the waist up. Do you think things would be different if she were playing at a higher level of competitive hockey? Like if she were playing like A or even double A, well, maybe double A is a bit of a stretch, but uh, A, double B, that if she were playing at that level consistently, that that your approach as a parent might be different? In what way? Higher expectations? No. No, I don't think I'd have higher, much higher expectations. I think that um, she's the type of athlete that progresses with the level of play that she's at. And it doesn't matter. I mean, she plays a lot of sports. And uh, she's the type of person who, if she's playing with better people, she plays better. So when she was practicing a few times this year with the single A team, the amount of shots that she got and how hard the shots were made her a better goalie. And when she would make a save on those kind of shots, uh, you really realize that she could play at that level if she was trained properly. Does she want to? No, I don't think so. I think, I think she, I think because of the soccer number one, if, if, if there was time in a day, in a week, for her to play both sports, I think she would. The, the problem with the DS team was that there were two goalies and they split the time 50-50. No matter how well you played, if you had a great game, you still split the game with the other goalie. Um, so she didn't like that at all. She's the, type of, she's the type of goalie that needs to play the whole game. And she actually, believe it or not, she can start the game off and let in two incredibly horrible goals and then play an outstanding rest of the game. What have you noticed about other parents um, in the stands watching? Like, do you ever look it over your shoulder to see if some parent is grimacing because a shot went in and you went, oh my God, that's a, that, that was a beach ball that you missed? Yeah, no, I, I don't look at other parents. <laughs> I, try to, I try to avoid that. Um, but I'm sure if it was me, because I've made those comments in the past on rotational goalies and how bad some of them actually are, even in house league, you go, oh, geez, we could have won that game if she didn't let in 12 goals, right? Um, you've, that, those, you've said those sotto voce, you actually said that out loud. I've never said that out loud. No, I've whispered <laughs> it to my wife. All right. Okay. <laughs> we have no chance to win this game with that yeah. particular goalie in that, mm-hmm. right? But um, at the same time, you kind of pump your chest out and get very proud when you hear all the good comments about, oh, great, Danielle is in that tonight. You know, that type of thing. But the bad comments are not the ones that you're going to hear because people will say them in the car right home when you're not around. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I know what they're saying. You know, like, what was wrong with her tonight? Man, she was terrible. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Is it harder for a kid to, um, do you think, to, to start goaltending full-time at age 11, 12, 13? And not talking about technically, because we know that that's obvious, uh, as opposed to, when she, if she had started younger full time and learned how to roll with the punches, as it were, no, I think I think once a kid has made a decision of what what they want to do, um, that can come at any age. I mean, look at the I'm not a basketball fan, but look at the basketball player for the Blue Jays. I mean, he started at 17 years old, uh, not the Blue Jays, the Raptors. 
No wonder you don't like 17. basketball. You think he's playing second base. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't right. dribble so, a baseball I mean, too well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, he started playing basketball at 17 years old. So you can start a sport if you're talented at, at any age. It's not common, but you can. Mm-hmm. And certainly with goaltending starting at 12 years old, if, if she was doing it full time, um, yeah, I think she could go as far as she wanted to go, you know, potentially. What Does that answer your question? I don't know. You never really answer any of my questions. So we'll, we'll go with that for now. That's fine. Okay. Um, when you're looking at how parents deal with their kids in sport, you know, I mean, you've had the experience now working with her in soccer and in hockey or watching her in soccer and hockey. Where do you see the biggest problems lie? Well, the biggest problem in sport, definitely, without, I'm sure you know this and everybody knows this, is the parents. They're, they're the biggest problem. The second biggest problem is the coaches. Um, I, I think that. Whoa, whoa. The second biggest problem is the coaches? Yeah, coaches right after parents. Yeah. How close? Pretty darn, pretty darn close. Really? Okay. Pretty darn close. I think there's too many coaches who think that because they've taken a test, they're qualified and they're not. And parents have this ex- expectation of their children that is grandiose at best. They, they need to realize that their kid is not going anywhere, you know, and you almost want to walk up to somebody at a, who has a 14 year old kid playing double A hockey and say, you know, your kid's not going anywhere. But of course we don't do that. But you would certainly like to. I would like to. Sure. But we're talking about kids playing house league or, uh, you know, DS hockey or house selects as, as, as she's playing. That, mm-hmm. Do people really believe that their kids are going to advance much from that level? Uh, no, I don't think it's that at that level that they think they're going to advance. I think many parents think that their kids should be better. And especially as a, as a coach of some of these kids, you look at them and you say, no, your kid is really playing as well as they can play. I mean, we had a girl on our team this year who was a tremendous skater, but she couldn't handle the puck worth a darn right now. Obviously that's something that, that can be trained, but she also didn't have a brain, you know, a hockey brain to know what to do with the puck when she gets the puck. And you want to explain that to the parent and say, no, your your kid doesn't have that ability to know what to do with the puck when she gets it. And she's been playing hockey for 14 years. Well, whatever, you know, 12 years. Well, sometimes you, kids get it, sometimes they don't. When you watch Danielle playing goal, uh, are you looking at how she follows the play? Are you looking at how the play develops and then you look at the goaltender or what exactly are you watching when someone is when the play is in her their end or someone is coming in on a breakaway i'm never watching the player i'm always watching the goalie and i'm watching how she follows the puck and watching her movements and then i can talk about it with her afterwards and say this is why you made that save that's scary well no it's not it's (laughs) not it's I, i i never i never criticize technique necessarily i just say do you know that you were too far over to the left or you left all this open i knew i i often know where the puck is going to go in the net before they even shoot it because mm-hmm. i can tell by her positioning mm-hmm. right but again she's a house league goalie she's playing ds at best and you know formulate your expectations based on that what advice would you give to parents uh whose kids are obviously younger you know not a not starting goaltending at 12, 13, 14, but at seven, eight, nine, 10 years old. 
to uh, to get them on the right track. It's scary or that I'm asking. Thinking, yeah, it's scary that I'm asking you to suggest advice for other parents. But <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, let me pull out the book on parenting and see page twenty seven. I, I think if if you're putting your kid in nets because they can't skate, which is very often I see that. You know, the worst kid on the team. The parents say, "Well, why don't you play nets?" Or the coach says that even worse. That's that's the one reason to never play goals. Uh, never never put your kid in nets because they're not capable of doing anything else. I think that your kid has to learn to skate. Uh, personally, I don't believe it's the coach's responsibility in a forty five minute uh, hockey session to be teaching the kids how to skate. You need to put your kids in some kind of a skating program. Number one. Number two, let the coach focus on trying to teach the kids some hockey skills. And if your kid um, happens to want to play goalie, uh, I would not put them in at, at seven and eight years old unless you, unless they're super talented. I mean, sometimes you see a kid that says, wow, this this one should be a goalie. You can tell early. You said earlier that the parents were the number one problem, but close behind them were the coaches. So uh, can, you, can you expand on that a little bit about the coaches uh, with regard to working with the goaltenders, not just you know, how they run practices or games? Well, the coaches virtually don't work with the goaltenders at all. I mean, we've had so many practices. I mean, we have, we have a former um, Canadian national women's hockey player coaching her DS team. This woman was a standout in Canadian hockey. And yet during a practice, the goalies that they're in twiddle their thumbs, most of the practice and if lucky, the you know a drill will come along where the kids come along and, and take a shot. Every goaltending, every team at a higher level, and that's from DS all the way up, needs to have a goaltending coach on the ice. Otherwise, it's a pointless practice. Don't even bring the girls out to it. Goaltending coaches are the hardest ones to find. Absolutely, yeah. There's a yep. reason. Then find that. a parent. Then find a parent who plays goal. Someone who will volunteer. But not you. Well, no, not me. Someone who plays goal. Yeah. I mean, the ball hockey doesn't translate. Basement ball hockey doesn't translate well to the ice. (laughs) No, it doesn't count. No. Right. But but we had we had a dad come out this year for the last few games um, who was a pretty darn good goalie. I could tell just by the way he handles the the, the puck without any pads on. And so he started working with her a little bit. Um, If we had had him all year, I'm sure it would have made an even bigger difference with her play. So that's what you need. If you can't have a practice where your goaltenders are 100% involved in that practice, then don't bring the goaltenders out to stand there around and wait for uh, some drill where the kids come in one at a time and take a shot on. Right. It's a, it's a wasted practice. For the goalie. For the goalie. Well, actually, it's a wasted practice for the shooters, too, because if they're, you know, if there's no chance for the, goal, for the goaltenders to, to get proper instruction... Uh, right. and they're not going to improve and it doesn't help the, uh, the shooters at all. Right. We, we had a drill. This is, this is when I, I, I try not to be the complaining parent, but this time I had to, cause we had a drill that went on for more than half of the practice where the kids had to go into the corners and fight with the puck and whoever was able to come out with it, uh, would get a shot on the goalie. Well, I'd say 90% of the time, nobody came out with the puck and got a shot on the goalie. So the goalies are waiting and waiting and waiting while they fight in the corners until the coach blows the whistle and then the next group goes in. That's a that, total, complete waste of time. And that was half the practice? 
that was more than half the practice. And remember now, there's two goalies, right? So while they're yes. doing that drill at one end, the other goalie is standing there doing nothing at the other end. So there was nothing going on at the other end of the rink for the second goaltender? Absolutely nothing. Not even a coach down there shooting pucks at her? Not even a coach down there shooting pucks at her, which, which is not overly helpful at the best of times anyway, but at least it would have been better than, you know, the second goalie standing around doing nothing. Right. Yeah, at least so it's just, it, that's just one example of, of the lack of it, you know, and I sat there and I watched the double A practice one day and the goaltenders are not doing much more in that either, you know, but of course those goalies are getting a lot of training outside. They go to special goaltending training practices and that type of thing. But during a practice, you're just wasting the time of your goalies if you're not keeping them actively involved throughout the practice. And they also don't want to be there. So as a parent, that's driving you up the wall, it sounds like. Oh, very much. Yeah, very much. And and I complained enough that my daughter started to get invited out to the practices um, that the, the higher rep teams were getting a special goaltending training. But I had to I had to rant and rave in order to get that invitation. So they didn't bring her out based on her merit? They brought her nope. out because you ranted and raved? Well, because not, not I'm, I'm using the term ranting and raving, but I'm yes. saying, you know, I said to this Canadian women's national former player, I said, what good is this for your goaltenders if they're not getting any training? Why can't you get them into the training that the, that the single A and double A players go to? And then she got invited to some of those. Oh, I see. Okay. You would have looked at things differently if she weren't a goaltender though, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, if she was just a regular player, then she's involved in the regular practices, right? The practices are focused on on forwards and defense, but the most important, I mean, talk to talk to any NHL coach, who's the most important player in your team? You need to have a goaltender or you're not going anywhere in the NHL. Well, that's very enlightening, Jim. I thought so. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I didn't think you could be quite so erudite, but obviously I was wrong. Well, I have a dictionary in front of me so I could use larger words. All right. And you know, you're going to start by looking up what erudite means. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That has something to do with temperature, right? Yes. Something, yeah. <laughs> uh, listeners, you've been listening to my brother, Jim, wax eloquently. And look up the word eloquently, Jim. Um, on goaltending, his daughter Danielle plays house league hockey uh, in the GTA and uh, plays on a house league select team and will watch her career blossom next year, I hope. Uh, well, go give it a try. Thanks for being on the show, old boy. Thanks for inviting me. All right, go have a beer. All right, we'll talk soon. Take care, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Got a comment? Email me, richard at grassrootsminorhockey.com. Till next time.